I'm just saying, hey, there are people here that have been married and they just need to be showed to stay married. You know, I mean, this, we're just going to look at this tonight. And we, we are living in a day and age when divorce uh, re, uh, just affects about every home in the United States. First marriages right now are seeing divorce rates of 50% in or outside of what they call the church. It doesn't matter, 50% chance. Second marriages run right up to 75%. I, I, right? 75% is huge. Statistically, if somebody told you you're going to make an investment and 75% chances you're going to lose everything, who would do that? Financially, who would do that? Right? We're, we're, we're taking you know all of the quote religious side out of it, and we're just going to put on in the math in in, in the mathematics, and it's just not a very good investment. Hey, the the divorce rate among people who shack up before they get married is 75%. I was on a flight somewhere, and the guy was next to me, a younger guy. This has been years ago. Had a great conversation. Just enjoyed the guy, and he was headed off somewhere. And he was telling me, you know, uh, you know, him and his girlfriend, uh, she's getting ready to move in, and then they'll get married someday. And he's just going on. About the end of the flight, I said, you know, I really like you. I, I, I enjoy the company, and and but can I give you a, a little heads up, just as as a friend? And this is pure statistics. I told him, if a couple live together before they're married, your chance of divorce is seventy five percent. I said, you might want to try to think, think of another way around this. You know, I don't know who the guy was. Who knows, right? He probably thought it was a total wacko. But I'm just telling you, these are just statistics. I told him, take religion out of, take religion out of it. These are just statistics, right? And so God has an answer for this. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, the world we live in isn't really uh, taking delight the word of God. And we're going to get into that. A lot of issues are a heart issue, and Jesus is going to get to that. And so it, it affects things around us. And, uh, and so this isn't necessarily a message on how to keep from getting divorced. That may be another day, right? It, we're just strictly looking at what God's view is on the subject and how Jesus approached this as these Pharisees came to him to try to catch him and yet another thing to get people to turn their eyes away from him. But we know this, divorce has been an issue for a long time. It's not a new thing, right? It's not a new, I mean, you can go back to, uh, I think, some of the earliest known divorce laws, I've got it written down here, were on clay tablets from ancient Mesopotamia around 2000 B.C., over 4,000 years ago, there were, there were documents written, laws written about divorce. It's been around a long time, right? We know, we might look at this tonight quickly, about what Moses, what Jesus brought up when the, when the, 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 the uh, what, are those, what are those crazies called? Pharisees. When they brought up what they said about Moses, it goes way back. It goes way back. One of the earliest known divorces in the United States was in the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1643. 23 years after they landed at Pilgrim Rock, there was a divorce in the, in the Massachusetts colony. What was the reason behind it? Well, the lady found out her husband had another wife and children. It's called bigamy, not polygamy, bigamy. And the court there at that time said, okay, get out of here, buddy. You know, and they, they severed that marriage. And so the first mention we have of divorce is in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 24. We'll look at this a little bit later. But the, pres- the prescription here was that it was for uncleanness. If there is found uncleanness in her, send her away. And then um, he, the guy can get married again and, 
and uh, if it's uncleanness, but, uh, but uh, or the two can get married again. The husband and wife can come back together, I guess. But here in Deuteronomy, the prescription was if she goes out and gets married and then she gets divorced again, well, the first one uh, can't get, she can't marry the very first one again. He said, uh, God said that is, that is out of the question, that is not right. And so that is where we first see this mention in the Bible of divorce. And so there were two schools of thought about what this word uncleanness means. There, and I'm talking about two schools of thought in Jesus' day right here. There's two, two schools of thought. There's the house of Hillel, who was founded by the rabbi Hillel. And there's the house of Shemei, who was founded by Rabbi Shemei. Hillel was lenient. Shemei was more strict on the meaning of what the, what the word uncleanness meant. Hillel brought it all the way down to the to the, to this problem. If she burnt the toast, if she wore her hair wrong, if she brought shame on the family some way, boy, she's out. This is what Hillel said. And a lot of Israel liked this definition. They liked that, right? And uh, because it was lenient, it gave these men, you know, if the thing wasn't going well, they'll see you later. And it put a, obviously would have had to put a ton of pressure on the woman because once she's divorced, her chance of survival drops, right, in that society. And so a lot of people accepted the, the form of Hillel. The other man, uh, Shemai said adultery only, right, or, or uncleanness as it has to do, and we'll look later what the meaning of that word is, uncleanness, but ha- anything that has to do in the area of sexual infidelity, uh, Shemai said, well, that is a ground for, di- to di- for divorce. The, these two schools have been, were prominent since about 34 BC, since the beginning of the reign of Herod the Great. So here you are, they're in Jesus' ministry, these two schools. At a, so they've been around for about 60 years by the time that the Pharisees come and ask Jesus the question of divorce. Watch this, both schools, Hillel and Shemei, are both within the sect of the Pharisees. This wasn't a competing view between, say, Pharisees and Sadducees like the resurrection was. You have two people in the same group, Pharisees, who take two sides of this issue from two different schools of thought. And so the fact of the matter is, here it is, if there's people and there's sin, there's always the possibility for divorce. That's just, what it, that's just the way it is. And that's where it is. And so while Jesus is here, he's left the area of Galilee. The Bible says he came unto the coast of, of um, here in verse 1, came unto the departed Galilee, came unto the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. So he's on the, Jordan runs north and south. So you have all of the Israel on the west side of Jordan between the Jordan River and, and um, well, you're looking at me backward, Jordan River here and the Mediterranean Sea over here. And here's the Jordan. So east of Jordan, beyond Jordan east, was the area of Judea that Jesus was now in. You're looking at the areas of where the tribe, half-tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben wanted to take their possession there. He's over in this area where Jews are. And, um, and so this really here is the backdrop. The Bible says there are great multitudes following him here in verse number 2. And it says that he healed them. Now, I've got to clear something up here. Okay. Several weeks ago, I made, the, I made the statement 
that from this point on, you know, Jesus is discipling the disciples. He's preparing them to leave. He's preparing them to, to stay and to continue on what he started. And he's getting them ready for his departure. And I made this statement that after that point, after about chapter 17, Jesus isn't going to heal anymore. But what do you know? Here he is healing again. And uh, just goes to show you that uh, let God be true and every man a liar, right? <laughs> right? I missed this one. I forgot about this one. But here it is. He's healing again. And probably if I didn't mention it, maybe nobody would have been known. It was several years back, several months back. But uh, how be it? It's, it's there and I need to correct that. And uh, so there's great multitudes following him. Jesus is healing those multitudes. And also in the crowd here, as we see in verse 3, were the Pharisees. They followed him around everywhere. They're always trying to trip him up. And listen, this is what religion does. This is what religion does, doesn't it? I mean, they're constantly questioning, constantly challenging, constantly against the Word of God, constantly against the preaching. Why do we do this? Why do you do that? Hey, you had children, right? You knew when they asked questions because they really wanted to know or when they were asking questions because they were challenging you because they didn't like what you were saying, right? Well, we didn't do this last time. Well, you know, you have all of these questions come out and, and they come out thinking that they're so earnest in their questions and you go i don't know if that's why i don't think that's why you're asking those questions right you're trying to corner me yeah and uh, this is what the pharisees are doing they're cornering jesus and they're going to see look what it says here in verse three the pharisees also came unto him tempting him and saying unto him is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause before we get any further i'm telling you tonight you know this is true there are a myriad opinions on divorce and remarriage within churches there is just as much swing as the, as there is within the school of Hillel and the school of Shemai it hasn't changed there are those that are very lenient and say well you know whatever and then there's those that say no reason whatsoever ever 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 okay and uh and uh, this isn't this this is it's always going to be and this is where the the where the Pharisees are they're questioning this they're trying to trip Jesus up. And uh, I'm wondering why. It's kind of interesting. Because this, remember I told you both of these schools of thought were within the Pharisees. So why are they trying to trip him up? Why are the Pharisees themselves going after him? Because they both have different opinions within the same group. Why would they care if Jesus was? You know what the reason is? I have no idea. I don't. I don't know. I mean, you, you know what, I, I know this, they were always looking for a way to make Jesus look bad. They were always looking for a way to have Jesus look like he was inconsistent, right, to get these people that, that was their source of power to stop following this guy. They were doing that. But here was the big question. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any cause? Now it shows you how far they've come in this society. For any cause. For any cause. Because that isn't how it always was. This is where it's come to. And so in verses 4 through 6, Jesus answers them by defining what marriage is. This is fascinating. And if you'll, if you'll watch closely, Jesus does this all the time. Rarely does he just flat out answer the question. Normally he goes to the root of the problem and answers the root problem. 
not just the question. And I, and I love how he does this. Look how he shows, starts out in verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, what an indictment. Have you not read? Now hold on. These are the Pharisees, man. This is the religious muckety-muck. These are the ones who have the corner of the market of truth. These are the ones who are deciding what, what Israel ought to do with their 613 laws and precepts. These are the ones who are supposed to know. And I'll tell you this, uh, among the Pharisees, they had most of the Old Testament memorized. There, there, was, there was some pretty strict rules uh, and, and requirements of being a Pharisee and, or, and being on the council of the Sanhedrin. I'm telling you, these, these uh, listen, they knew their Bible, they, under, they, they read their Bible, they might have had it memorized, but it never made it from here to the heart. It never made it from the mind to the heart. And Jesus said, have you not read? <laughs> Don't you remember what it says? Look what he says here. Have you not read? That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Right? And we know we're living in a day and age. I don't need to dwell on this too much. I've dwelt on it already before. But uh, it's so simple, isn't it? A man and a woman. Two genders. (laughs) Wouldn't you know it? Right? There's a video out there of uh, Mr. Rogers, and he did this whole thing, right, 40 years ago. A boy is a boy, and a girl is a girl. Why? And he goes through this whole thing, and it's like, wow, we really need to go back to this. And, uh, well, no, we don't need to, because that's not the issue. The issue isn't that they don't understand. The issue is, is they don't want their creator. And this is one of the most ultimate, listen, oh, let me say this, one of the most, the, 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 What's the what's the what's the adjective I'm looking for? The greatest way to to reject your creator is to deny your gender, because male and female created in them. And the greatest way to reject your creator is to is to uh, is to choose not to glorify God, put on display His attributes, glorify God in your gender. What does that mean? Dress like a woman. Dress like a man. Good night. It's not that hard. Amen? Yep, all right. We might quench the spirit there. Have you not read? Have you not read? Right? Jesus said in Matthew 29, Ye do err, not knowing the Scripture, nor the power of God. He was talking to Pharisees again right there. He was constantly going back to their, their issue with the Word of God, that they didn't know the Bible. No, they, which was proven by their 613 laws and precepts. They didn't understand the word of God. Why? Because as Jesus said, right, if Abraham were your father, you would have rejoiced to see my day. But what he went on to say is, well, Satan is your father and and he's the father of lies. That's why you don't know me because you don't know God, right? And so here Jesus is defining marriage. In the beginning, they were made male and female. What is this? Difference. God made them different. I don't know if any of you have figured this out. I know some of you have been around a little longer than others. But has anybody noticed, maybe by observation, maybe you've done a little study on it, maybe you've got a degree in it and something like that, gone to college and gotten a science degree or something. But have you ever noticed that there is, like, men and women are different? Amen. <laughs> right? I shouldn't say I should say different, not different. <laughs> They're different, man. <laughs> we are different. Yeah, I'm trying to clean up that language. We're different. 
This is what Jesus is starting to have you not read that uh, which uh, he which made him at, at the beginning made them male and female. There is a different time of creation for Adam and Eve. There is a different mode of creation between Adam and Eve. Hey, hey, watch this. There is a different location of creation for Adam and Eve. Adam was created and placed in the garden. Eve was created in the garden. There's a difference between men and women. There's a difference in, in temperament and everything else. They had different names, right? They weren't Adam and Adam. <laughs> their, their names followed their gender. I kind of like that. I know, I know, everything's upside down today, right? And I better not go through the name thing because I'll really get in trouble. But there's different names, there are different roles, there are different genders. And I don't need to describe, I don't need to go into, into any type of biology. Do you know, realize most everybody in this room is smarter than our last appointed Supreme Court justice who could not tell you what a woman really was because she wasn't a biologist. You're smarter than her. I think everybody in here should be on the Supreme Court. Probably do a better job, right? Yeah. I'd just be like, guilty! And be like, no, that's not what we're trying to decide here. Whatever, guilty. So. Watch here. The context is marriage. The context is marriage. And Je- Jesus establishes that marriage is made up of a man and a woman. Now notice this also. Jesus has established that marriage was intended for one man to one woman. This really throws out polygamy or bigamy. Right? God didn't create Adam and then Eve. Right? And then Evelyn. And then Mary. And then... Well, you know, just add the list of names. I'll get in trouble. I don't want to come up with a bunch of names here. Right? Adam didn't say, hey, could I have another one? <laughs> yeah. I'll really get in trouble there. Let's move on. The context is marriage. One man, one woman, watch, created by God, instituted by God. He who made them at the beginning. Haven't you read? made a male, male and female. He has gone back to creation. Yeah. What is he going back to? Watch, 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 watch. Authority. Remember all the way back in our Genesis series about eight years ago, seven years ago, took about 12 years to get through it and it felt like it. And I said this, the one who creates is the one who has authority. And God has authority over his creation. Yeah. Jesus, I believe, establishing one thing here is authority. You don't have the authority to decide what marriage is, Bubba. You don't have the authority. I don't have the authority to decide how, how long marriage lasts and how it, what it looks like and how it goes. No, this is the problem with a lot of marriages. Somebody in the marriage eventually comes along and decides what they believe marriage ought to be. And many times it's not biblical And then there comes the problem. Watch, if two people just had a heart for God and decided to, and I know this, that's a perfect world. It doesn't always happen. Everybody has a free will. I get that. But but what what helps a marriage uh, 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 exponentially is when two people have a heart for the will of God and to do the will of God and have a heart for for marriage to be what, what God has deemed marriage to be. They have submitted to the authority of God. It helps, friend. It helps a lot. So Jesus is saying here, here, here it goes back to the beginning. God is creator. God has authority. God determines what marriage is. God determines who gets married. Yeah. Male and female. 
Now notice verse 5. And said, for this cause, for what cause? Because they're male and female. Because they're different. Because God created them differently. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife that they twain shall be one flesh. Because they are different, because they are male and female, God has always intended, from the very beginning, God has always intended that one man and one woman would come together and two would become one. Well, that's a miracle. Not just one physically, but one miraculously. It's a work of God. That brings two to make them one. I mean, Jesus said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. Listen to what one man said. The law of God was not that a man should forsake his wife whenever he had a mind to it, but that he should rather forsake his father and mother than his wife, and he should cleave unto his wife, living and dwelling with her. Some of the biggest problems in young men are their parents. And if you allow your children, if you allow, I told you I wasn't going to tell you what to do. I guess I am. If you allow your, your, your sons, right, to continue to cleave to you when they should be cleaving to your, their wife, you need to tell them, go. Right. Yeah. Amen. You know, we told our children, when you get married, don't come home. You're not coming home. I mean, they come over all the time and eat everything. But, <laughs> but, but the point was, right. fix your own problems. You're cleaving to each other, to one another. Man, you're cleaving to your wife, and she is to be a part of you. And uh, listen, that solves a lot of problems. And absolutely. You are forsaking, watch, you are forsaking your singleness. You are forsaking singleness and joining to wife. Some guys are single, and they don't want to stop being single. So they never really forsake the singleness. Well, that brings problems. So when a man and a woman come together in marriage, God says they are one flesh. This is a miracle. Watch. What is he saying? This, this was from the beginning. It's of the authority of God. God has created. God has the authority. God decides what marriage is. God decides who the people are that gets married. And it is God. Watch. He is, inter, he is involved again. God is the one involved making two become one. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Yeah. It's ordained of God. The number, the number one, numeral one, yeah, it's indivisible. Yeah. That's why I said, well, what, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Watch, it's man who tears apart, not God. Yeah. Well, the number one is exclusive. Not one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one. One flesh. One and one. It's another clue that God never intended for polygamy, right? He allowed it. He allowed it. He never commanded it. The Bible says there's a lot of things that God winked at because it just wasn't time to deal with them yet. He allowed it, but it was never so from the beginning. Watch. If it is God who makes two into one, then marriage is beyond any human endeavor. And it makes marriage in the realm of the divine. Yeah. And, this, and, and this is some of the struggles that we have among, even among Christians today because marriage has been reduced to a human thing instead of a divine thing. 
Again, if, if both parties who are one flesh both have the same heart for God, well, they have a pretty good chance. If one of them says no, and they don't have a heart for God, and they've reduced marriage to something human, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. So note this. The Pharisees should have known this. <laughs> have you not read? They should have known this. This is nothing new. But notice this here in, in, in verse 7. They said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? That's a pretty fair question. Although they should have known all this. But it's a pretty fair question. See, to them it seemed like to the Pharisees, uh, Jesus went back to the Scripture. And so the Pharisees are like, Well, you're kind of, then if, if you're going to back to the Bible and we're going back to the Bible, you're, it seems like you're contradicting Moses. And on the surface, it might look like that. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Would you look, let's look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, would you look at verse 1? When a man has taken, hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And here's, here's, here's the battle between that school of Hillel and the school of Shemai, is that word uncleanness. That word uncleanness literally means nakedness, nudity, or shame, indecency, or improper behavior. It's always connected to some sort of uh, sexual immorality of some sort. And this is what Moses, this is what he was saying. This is what the Pharisees were bringing up. Well, then, then why did Moses uh, allow for a writing of divorcement? Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorce and to put her away? Can I show you this? Moses didn't command it. This was their mistake. He gave provision for it. And I, and I dare say this, a lot of that, I think that provision was a protection for a lot of these women who had no recourse whatsoever, right? And it was safer for them to be out of a marriage than to stay in one that they might have been abused in. And uh, at this time, Moses gave a, a, an avenue here to... Uh, to uh, guard off some issues that might be that might come up from it. Yeah. But I like this. The Pharisee said, essentially you're contradicting Moses. It came to my mind over in John chapter eight, when he's later he'll be debating with the Pharisees at a later time, when he said, you know, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> before Abraham was, I am. Jesus went back before Moses all the way to creation. Watch. His creation. I, I don't, you know, one of these days they're going to get it. That the guy that was talking to them was the one who created them. I mean, that is an incredible thought. <laughs> and here they are debating with him, you know, and he brings them all the way back to creation because he was the one who created. I, I think Jesus understood his own intent in creation. I think Jesus understood his own intent in marriage. But look what he says here in verse 8. The hardness of your heart. Moses allowed it because of the hardness of their 
heart and the hardness of heart. Watch this. It's not the hardness of heart towards the wife that's the issue. Remember, marriage is a divine, uh, it is a divine uh, ordinance of God. It is the hardness of the heart towards God. Have you yet seen a have you yet seen a marriage where two people genuinely honestly and seriously have a heart for God where it just totally blew up? A lot of the problems come and you may throw one I don't know. But I'm saying what I'm saying is a lot of the problems arise because somebody has a hard heart towards God. Yeah. It's his institution. It's his institution, right? What are they rebelling against? They're rebelling against his institution of marriage and the commands that we've been given. So here he goes on and says, it's the hardness of the heart. And uh, one, one writer said this, the thought is not so much of the cruelty of men to their wives as of more as of their unresponsiveness to the mind and will of God. That was their problem. It was God. So verse 8, look at this here again. He goes back to the beginning again. He returns to creation again. He has said unto them, Moses, because the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. He goes right back there again. He was the one who created Adam and Eve. He knew exactly his own intent and creation. And he could say with all truth and honesty, I can tell you, man, this wasn't what it was intended to be. It was intended to be one man, one woman becoming one flesh uh, for all of their life. That was the intent that I had in creation and the institution of marriage. I think Jesus would know what he meant, right? I think I'd believe him. So now he's going to put the final nail in the coffin. Look at verse 9. This is the verse that brings up a lot of questions. A lot of disagreements on what this is. And he says this in verse 9. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So what do you think? <laughs> Tough verse, isn't it? What does it mean? I want you to notice this. We believe, we believe in a divinely preserved word of God. Jesus said, not one jot nor tittle will pass till all the law be fulfilled. And we believe, according to the word of God, that we have every word that God wanted us to have. Every word. Amen? We do. We have it all. Why did he use the word fornication and not adultery? He said, except it be for fornication. He did not say adultery. The word fornication and the word adultery are not the same word. And they do not have the same meaning. The, the, the word fornication is talking about, and you go look these words up if you want, 
I know fornication is the word pornea. It is a very broad term. It's where you get the word pornography. It is a very broad term, and it's speaking about any sexual activity, right? Any, any uh, uh, unlawful sexual activity. Any activity, watch this, outside the bonds of marriage. So fornication is sexual activity before marriage. Adultery is any type of, of fornication. Adultery is any type of sexual activity after marriage. Jesus did not say, oh, your out is adultery. He said the out is fornication. What does that mean? Well, in the, what the Jews would have understood in Matthew, here in Matthew, and the Jews would have understood is that uh, there were some laws around, uh, Old Testament laws around marriage. And when, a, when a, 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 a boy and a girl were matched up with families and they were determined they were going to get married, when the, the family presenting their daughter for marriage was presenting her as a chaste virgin. And there were, there were tokens of that that were to be given to the family after the marriage for proof that she was exactly as they stated. And if it gets found out that she wasn't as she stated... And either she lied, or and her family didn't know, or she lied and her family lied. Right? That was a grounds for an annulment of a marriage, because she was not pure. And if if you want to look into this a little closer, there was a grounds for her being stoned. Yeah. Why? Because she's played the harlot. The Bible says. So that's that's sexual relationships. That's that's that is that is um, activity outside before marriage. Jesus used that word, fornication, except it be for fornication. He didn't say adultery. Yeah. Poses an issue here. Can you see that? There's a lot of people that have divorced because of infidelity within a marriage. And there may be some other things there, and we're going to get in. We're going to we're going to point this, uh, bring this to a finer tip here. Right? I have always contended this: the 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 bigger issue isn't the divorce. The bigger issue is the issue of remarriage. Infidelity before marriage they pose themselves hey listen somebody gets married and they know everybody hey especially in this age and age a lot of people have a past they have a history they came to christ later they they lived a life they're not not proud of and maybe if two people come and get married and somebody had been sexually active before marriage and they both know it hey then they know it and they've agreed to it that's fine but jesus is talking to here in israel's time and he's saying if if they purported to be one thing uh right and they're not uh, that is a grounds for annulling their marriage watch and then getting remarried. Adultery may be a grounds for a need for a divorce. And another place we'll look at it, but it's from this text not a ground for remarriage. That's what it says. Yeah. And it goes on to say anybody who marries that one that's put away commits adultery. Yeah. Listen, we take a lot of flack on this sometimes. 
I would rather err on the on the side of caution of what God, what what it's what it, it says. In well, I was going to say black and white, but mine's red and white. <laughs> and find out and get to heaven and, and God say, well, you know, yeah, you could have you could have loosened up on that one a little bit. I'd rather have that than go to the judgment and say, boy, you sure created a lot of problems being real loose on that. what it says whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery but what's what's the, what's the qualifier and shall marry another listen if 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 divorce comes not and it's not because of some impurity before marriage right and she goes and gets remarried or he gets remarried it's called adultery yeah and uh have no fear, your pastor has already taken a lot of flack for that. Okay? There are people that aren't in this church anymore because of that. For that one reason. Because they wanted some a role to play in the church and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Friend, it would have been a lot easier to keep him around. I really loved him. I miss him. We couldn't do it. Why is he so stringent on this? Well, marriage is a picture of Christ and his bride. It's a serious thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's amazing that God would take something of two people so imperfect. <laughs> right? Who could at any time really mess things up? He had determined that that is a picture of Christ and his bride. And we'll look at that one of these days in Ephesians. Watch, if it's a picture of Christ and his bride, what did Jesus himself say? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Did you know there is not one thing that you could ever do to sever your eternal union with Christ? What am I saying? Hey, listen, people have a mind of their own. I know it. You can't, listen, you can't change a spouse's mind sometimes. Sometimes their heart is so hard against God and they're going to walk away. You, You can't do anything about it. It's horrible. You'd love to. But you can't. But it's well, not my opinion. <laughs> but according to Matthew chapter 19, I think the best thing to do is if they walk away, Paul said, let them go. Let them go. Can't do anything about it. But you know what you do? It's tough. It's tough. I know it's tough. You don't remarry. So, Jesus here brought the divorce issue back to creation. It was God's idea. It was God's design. Man and woman, it was God's intention. It's a miraculous thing of two becoming one. And so Jesus brought the divorce issue to the root of the problem, which is a a hard heart towards the authority in their life. It's a hard heart towards God. You say, well, marriage is really a struggle. Well, yeah. You've got two people that are completely different. Right? Absolutely. But watch this. When a man refuses to love his wife like he's commanded to, and a wife refuses to submit to her husband in a biblical way like she is commanded to, he is not the issue and she is not the issue. The heart is the issue. 
And it's not, hey, listen, it's not my intention at all today to litigate people's past. That's not what it's about here today. Every person in here has been touched uh, in one form or fashion by divorce uh, in your life. Everybody has been. But as we go through the Word of God, we have got to deal with every subject that God deals with. We have to. We have to. And so here's the application for tonight. I'll be done. If you're not yet married, keep your heart hey, keep your heart tender to God. Marry in the Lord only. Marry in the Lord. And don't put divorce as an option ever. Ever. You say, well, they, they, I know you can't control what they do. But make sure that's where you are. And I'll tell you what, you know, you, know, you know what I like what Curtis Hudson said. It might not have been original with him. But he said, you don't attract what you want. You attract who you are. You know what I guarantee? If you have a genuine heart for God and a love for God, you're going to attract that. Yeah. Mary and the Lord. Secondly, if you've been divorced, and it wasn't the issue of fornication, you didn't find out later, What? Don't remarry. Keep your heart tender to God. And serve Him. Serve God. You say, well, there's nothing for me to do. Oh, oh my goodness. Do you realize the only two things that are off the table for somebody divorced is a pastor and a deacon? That's all that's off the table. Everything else is on the table for serving God. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you've been divorced and remarried, keep your heart tender. If you haven't done it, just ask God for forgiveness. Maybe you want to acknowledge, Lord, I I, should have done it. I acknowledge that. That was wrong. You can't change a thing. None of us, hey, listen, we all have sin in our life. We can't change afterward. We're all there. Ask God for forgiveness. If you're still married now, stay married. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, well, I better, well, I shouldn't have remarried. See ya, you know. No, stay married. Just stay there, right? Serve God where you are. Have a heart to God and say, and serve Him. And uh, you know what Paul said in the great, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, right? Forgetting those things which are behind. I press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. Listen, put it behind you. Forget about it. Look forward. Serve God, right? And uh, we'll move forward. And do this. Teach the generation behind you. You might tell them, listen, don't do this. Hey, listen, sometimes, and there's sometimes it's, uh, it happened long before you got saved and you never knew. Just never knew. And you look back and go, boy, I wish I'd known. We'd done something different. Hey, you can't change it. You can't change it. God loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. That's right. Right? Amen. And uh, just have a heart tender towards Him and serve Him and go on and move forward. And uh, this is God's mind on the subject of divorce and remarriage. And uh, there's so much more. I don't have time to delve into this tonight. I don't. We could go all over the place. And I know people are going to have different opinions on it. I get it. I understand it. I just wanted, we just needed to expose Matthew chapter 19 and what Jesus was saying. Father, would you help us tonight? I thank you.
Lord, for your word that it's clear. Lord, that it applies to all of us. And, and even, even those that are in here who are married and they've never been divorced, uh, you know, we, need to, we all need to take heed lest we fall. It's, it's possible for everybody in here who thinks they're, well, we got, well, good, we're not in this group. Well, hey, we could be. Our heart gets away from God. It could be. Absolutely. Pray you'd help us protect and guard our hearts. Have a heart for you and a love for you. And Lord, as a church, that we might take up the biblical position of what you believe marriage should be because we are agreeing with you that you are the authority and you are the creator and you have the right to decide what marriage is. And we just want to agree with you on that. We thank you for your word tonight. We pray you'd bless those. You'd use those that are here. And if there's anybody here tonight that just, maybe their heart is wandering from you and they know it. Lord, would they just get alone with you tonight and, and uh, just get their heart back where it ought to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand tonight and uh, the instrument's going to play tonight. Have the Lord has spoken to you. Whatever you need to deal with, with the Lord, you deal with that tonight. You got a heart tender towards Him? You got a heart for God? You better guard it. You better protect it. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer tonight. I was going to say something really snide, but I better, I'm not going to. Brother David, good to see you tonight. I was going to say, who's this? You know, <laughs> haven't seen you in a while. Would you mind closing this word of prayer tonight?